Greetings and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you at 7.20 p.m. on Monday, January 23rd, 2023, from the slightly sloppy, cold, and slushy town of Sunderland, Massachusetts. Um, Thankfully, we did not get the extreme bad weather we were supposed to get today, um, but it's still going to be a fun commute in the morning with the ice. Um, But all things considered, it could have been a lot worse. Um, I hope that all is well in your little corner of the world. And tonight, I thought we would take a look at an absolutely fascinating species that, much like the axolotl, is very prolific in captivity, but nearly extinct in the wild. And that species would be the ring-tailed lemur. Now, what initially drew my attention to using this uh, subject for the podcast tonight was a newsfeed article that came across um, from Bloomington, Illinois, about a family that actually found one in their garage. Uh, They heard some strange noises, and they didn't know what they were, and when they went to investigate, they actually found a ring-tailed lemur. And... So they called the Illinois Conservation Office, and together with the Miller Park Zoo, conservationists removed it from the property, and it's now at the zoo and doing very well, but nobody has any idea how it got into this family's garage in the first place. So I thought I'd start, as always, with a little background information about the ring-tailed lemur and then tell you why it's endangered and what can be done to protect it. Um, there are quite a few interesting facts that I got from the Smithsonian website. Um, a group of ring-tailed lemurs, if you ever need to know this to be on Jeopardy or anything, is called a troop. Um, They can be found sunbathing at times. Uh, They sit in almost a yoga-like position with their bellies out towards the sun and their arms and legs to to their sides. Uh, to warm up before they go foraging. Each ring-tailed lemur has exactly 13 alternating black and white stripes on its tail. And some interesting facts about its tail. Uh, The average length of a ring-tailed lemur's tail is two feet. And when they're traveling in groups, they all hold their tails up. And it's kind of like their version of GPS because it keeps the group together and keeps any of them from straying off. Um, unlike most other lemurs, a ring-tailed lemur will spend 40% of its life on the ground. And when they are on the ground, they're quadrupeds, so they walk on all four legs. Um, they're actually quite small. Uh, the males can average about six pounds and the females are always a little bit smaller, you know, like usually is the case with the female of the species. Um, and scent is the most important besides their voices, which we'll discuss in a minute. Scent is the most important way that the lemurs communicate with each other. Uh, they have scent glands on their wrists and chest, which they use to mark their territory. And when it is mating season, the males will even take some of the scent and either rub it on their tails or they will throw it at other lemurs to attract a mate. Kind of glad that humans don't have to go through all that. But scent is quite an important sense for a lemur, for a ring-tailed lemur. 
And they also communicate with facial expressions. And this made me think that perhaps uh, maybe my spirit animal is a ring-tailed lemur because people have told me before that I don't have to say a word for them to know exactly how I feel because I show it on my face. So there are several different kinds of expressions that ring-tailed lemurs can have, all which mean very specific things. Um, if they have what is called the staring open mouth face, and it's exactly like what it sounds like. Their eyes are open very wide and the mouth is open and their teeth are covered by their lips. And this is how they communicate a threat to each other. This is how they let each other know there's a predator in the area. Um, then there is what is called staring bare teeth scream face. Don't you love the names of these faces? But they're all very specific. So the staring bare teeth scream face is their eyes are open wide and their mouths are open with the corners of their mouth drawn back, revealing their teeth and gums. And this is associated with the fight or flight response. This is when a lemur is scared and getting ready to bolt for the high ground. Then they also have what's called silent bared teeth face, which their eyes are staring at the stimulus. The eyebrows are either relaxed or pointed up. The corners of the mouth are relaxed with the teeth showing. And that indicates submission or a friendly approach. That's the way they'll approach others in their troop. It's the way they approach other troops when there's no threat. It's just like saying, hey, how you doing? How's it going? And then there is what is called the bared teeth gecker face, G-E-C-K-E-R. And it's similar to the silent bared teethed face, but with a distinctive noise. And it's made when there are conflicts between submissive lemurs or when an infant is being harassed. Um, so you definitely don't want, if you're a lemur, you don't want to hear that noise from another lemur because you've been a bad boy or girl. And then there is the pout face, which is the eyes wide opened and the lips pursed in an O shape. And that's either when they're trying to contact other lemurs or they're begging for something. And ringtail lemurs also have the distinction of being one of the most vocal primates on earth. They have different sounds they make in different situations. Uh, for, to contact an infant. They purr almost like a cat. They have what is called a cohesion call, which is used when the group is widely dispersed and they're trying to get all back together. One of them will call, call out and that's like they're calling them all together in a group. Then there is a territorial call, which is a howl that can be heard up to a half mile away. And ringtail lemurs are quite territorial within their foraging grounds. So they do get nasty with each other if another troop encroaches on their territory. Then they have an alarm call, which starts as a grunt and becomes a howl. And they also have a repulsion call, which is repetitive staccato grunting sounds, which is uh, what they use to communicate displeasure with another individual. 
And you might wonder what they eat. Um, Ring-tailed lemurs are almost omnivores. They eat leaves, flowers, insects, small vertebrates, uh, herbs, fruits. So they pretty much will eat anything that is found in their environment. Um, they do have a social structure. They do have a very specific social structure. Um, they live in groups that range from three to 25 individuals. The females will stay in the group that they're born in their whole lives, but the males leave for other groups and for other troops at age three, which is when they reach sexual maturity. And that is to ensure genetic diversity between the lemurs. Uh, they can travel up to three and a half miles a day in search of food. And like I mentioned before, they are aggressive to, toward other ring-tailed lemurs on the borders of their territorial range. And it's interesting because this is actually quite unusual in the primate world, but the females are dominant. The females have the hierarchy with preferential access to food, uh, which is actually not the way it usually works in the primate world. Um, and the males do have a dominance hierarchy amongst themselves, but even the lowliest ranked male will get to mate. So the male dominance hierarchy really doesn't count for much like it does in with the females in regarding to, regards to the access to food. Um, but the interesting thing is that the female hierarchy is not linear. Um, so what happens is the females don't support their daughters in social situations. It's not like if you're a female ring-tailed lemur and you've got a fight on your hands, your mother's going to come to support you. She will leave you to fight yourself for yourself. So because of that, the daughters will fight to achieve dominance on their own rather than inherit it from their mother. So just because your mother is the top lemur in the troop doesn't mean you will end up being, um, which is interesting because that's kind of opposite to the way it usually goes um, in hierarchical lines in the animal kingdom. Um, and females will bond more closely with female relatives than the unrelated females. Um, and the bonding is reinforced by grooming, which grooming is, you know, that is fairly common in primates. You know, you've seen the pictures of chimpanzees grooming each other by picking lice and stuff off their fur and things like that. So it, grooming is a very common thing among primates. But what makes ring-tailed lemurs different is that they have six teeth on, on their bottom jaw that stick straight out and form a comb. So they use that, that comb to groom themselves and others. So the technique is different, but the grooming is the same amongst other primates. Um, females are generally first-time mothers around the age of three, and then they can give birth once a year after that, and they give birth to single pups. Um, but, and I find this interesting, and I think there are so many human males who would just be like, well, thank God I'm not a ring-tailed lemur because females are only sexually receptive two days out of the entire year. And estrus can last between six and 24 hours. So they're only, they're only willing to do the deed two days a year. And even then they only have their cycle in 
for one 24-hour period, up, up to 24 hours. It's not even necessarily 24 hours long. So, you know, the lemurs, it's hit or miss, you know. If you don't get a female lemur pregnant within that two-day period, you got to wait till next year, fellas. So that I found that very interesting and very specific. Um, and the mating season starts in mid-April, and uh, gestation is about four and a half months. So the babies are usually born in August and September. And the infants, for the first two weeks of their life, will cling to their mother's bellies. And then eventually they will start riding on their mother's back like she's a horse. Um, so at one month old, they start becoming independent and they are fully weaned from their mother by uh, five or six months. And the average lemur lifespan, if we leave them alone and let them live their lives the way they were meant to, can be up to 16 years. So, um, you know, these are fascinating creatures. But... The saddest thing is, 98% of all lemur species, and I believe I read there's 107 species, um, and I think it's like 105 are endangered, but all 98% of all lemur species are endangered, and 31% of them are critically endangered, which is just one step from extinction in the wild. And they are considered the world's most endangered mammals. And as of the last count of lemur populations in 2017, there were only uh, between 2,000 and 2,400 in the wild, which reflects a 95% population decrease since 2020, which was when the previous census was taken of lemur populations. Um, so why are they endangered? Well, it's several different things. Um, there are a couple of natural predators that have made huge dents in population numbers, but primarily it's habitat loss due to slash and burn agriculture and deforestation, which comes from the increased price of vanilla. Vanilla crops can bring $300 a pound, which has led to the habitat loss. Um, because you need a lot of cleared land to grow vanilla and vanilla plantations. Um, and subsequently, the habitat loss creates a loss of genetic diversity, as I men mentioned earlier, because deforestation makes it difficult for the males to move to other troops. Um, and if they stay in that same troop that they have lived in, it's going to decrease the genetic diversity. Of the, of the babies and make them more susceptible to disease and, uh, you know, just make them weaker genetically speaking. So what is the solution to this? Well, uh, one thing is to, oh, and another thing I should have mentioned is the illegal pet trade. Now, the thing is, is the pet trade occurs in Madagascar itself. Uh, there are a lot of people who want them for private pets, 
And there are also a lot of hotels and tourist traps that want a ring-tailed lemur to draw tourists to them. You know, the tourist wants to take a selfie with the exotic animal. It brings in money. So the illegal pet trade is rampant in Madagascar, but thankfully it's not a worldwide thing like it is with some animals. Uh, there are very, very strict regulations on taking lemurs out of Madagascar, and thankfully... Um, thankfully, the international pet trade does not really apply to a ring-tailed lemur, which makes the Bloomington, Illinois case all that much weirder because you could say, okay, this was somebody's pet that escaped their house, but if there's very little international trading in a ring-tailed lemur, it makes you wonder. I mean, it could be that rare case where somebody has one as a pet and shouldn't have it, but... Um, that tends to stay within Madagascar. So one thing that can be done to stop the destruction of the ring-tailed lemur is to educate people on how deforestation hurts these animals and to educate people on why they should not have a ring-tailed lemur as a pet. Um, now, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, the um, ring-tailed lemur suffers a similar fate as the axolotl because they are quite prolific in captivity. They're in zoos all over the world, and we've all seen them if we go to a zoo more, more likely than not. And, you know, we know about ring-tailed lemurs because we've seen the movie Madagascar with our kids or whatever. So part of the problem is we just assume they're everywhere. But just because they're prolific in captivity does not mean they're having having an easy go of it in the wild. But the good thing about their there being a you know quite an easy to breed uh, species in captivity means that with captive breeding programs and repopulation programs that can help rebuild the species. Um, and I did come across this interesting little tidbit of an article about a private game reserve in Madagascar. And it's called, uh, let me see if I don't butcher how this is pronounced, Anto Hakalava. And it's a privately owned park that's twice the size of Central Park in New York. And it's owned by a man named Ratumbo Jayoma. And he originally bought the land to clear-cut to make a vanilla plantation. But he decided he didn't want problems with the government, uh, so he decided to turn his land into an ecotourist park. And he opened it to scientists from all around the world. Um, now, the interesting thing is that he has no problems with poachers because he buys vanilla from them, and they don't want to lose their their cash cow by making him mad and then if he doesn't buy their vanilla anymore they go broke so it's kind of an interesting dynamic to think of that this guy originally wanted to run a vanilla plantation of his own and then he thought better of it because he knew that the government would be very very strict with the regulations um with the land so then he thought well all right i'll leave it natural and make it an ecotourist destination um, and then he started trading or buying vanilla from the people who would poach on his property. Um, and most poachers would rather hunt in large national parks that are supported by NGOs 
because NGOs most of the time have less than stellar track records with governance and law enforcement within their boundaries. So it's easier to poach, um, say, from a national park than it is from a small private park. So a lot of conservationists are thinking that small private game reserves like this one in Madagascar might be a step forward. And um, they're looking at encouraging locals to do just that. Um, so, you know, if we all just, if we all just work towards educating each other and help zoos that fund uh, research into ring-tailed lemurs and other species of lemurs, um, and if we support groups like the Lemur Conservation Foundation, which you can find online, then we can give these these amazing little creatures a chance to survive and thrive the way they once did. And with that, I'm going to leave it here. This is one of my longer episodes, but these creatures were so fascinating. I had to give you all the interesting little facts and details about them. So until next week, I just ask you to remember that you too can be a voice for the voiceless. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.